From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. I'm Rifki Edskowitz, and on today's show, I talk with an old friend about her experiences in therapy, what led her to treatment, the stigma surrounding mental health, and why she thinks everyone could benefit from a good session. Schiffer Scheinfeldberg has a way of moving through the world that makes me think she's seeing something I can't. The first time I met her, it was her romantic style and whimsical nature that immediately had me hooked. Recording this episode was actually her idea. She wanted to talk about her experiences in therapy, why mental health awareness is so important, and shed some light on the process. I learned so much from this conversation, and I hope you do also. I was actually super shy as a kid. Um, I had like this very big personality that was inside of like behind closed doors. Um, but other than that, I was like really shy. I was like always getting lost. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was kind of like a little, um, I don't know, like very imaginative, I would say. Like I lived in my own head a little bit. That does not surprise me in the least bit, <laughs> like not even a tiny bit. Um, you what? So you like all throughout like elementary school, and that you were just kind of this like creative kid doing her own thing. Yeah, I would say like probably around like third or fourth grade, I would I like blossomed my personality a little bit, um, and I started like making more friends and um, realizing that other people had good ideas too. And (laughs) sort of like integrating that into like my closed social circle of one. Um, So yeah, like actually like throughout, I would say like um, throughout middle school, I had like a lot of friends. um, And that's when I sort of started to become a little bit more um, open to like having friendships. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. And and just like, it's it's hard to kind of accept other people into your life. And we should say also, you are a fashion designer, just like I am. Um, you, yes. Yeah. So like, how did, how did you become a fashion designer? Was fashion just something that you always loved? And um, also, can you tell me about where you work? Yes, absolutely. So um, I was always into, well, I should start out and say that I'm actually not a fashion designer. I am the creative director of a fashion company, um, which um, is owned by my mom. She's the lead designer of um, the company. It's called Yona New York. Um, And fashion was always something that like my mom loved. I grew up with it. I used to play dress up with her clothing all the time. Um, It was then that I learned the beautiful purposes of the belt, Mm -hmm. um, just to, try to make everything fit my like seven-year-old scrawny little body. Um, (laughs) um, And I was like always super creative. I'm not like a big drawing person. Like I love art and I love creative things, but I'm much more tactile and much more like, I love arts and crafts. I love, um, um, I love like doing things with my hands. So, um, I had always had the dream of like working in fashion because it's like, I feel like it's every girl's little dream. Um, I might be wrong, but at least it was mine. I think so. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm talking to you, obviously. Right. No. This might be a biased audience, but yes. Yeah, I very I would call that true. Yes. Um, and as I started growing up, I was like, oh, wait, fashion designers actually need to know how to draw and need to know how to like, express their artistic um, desires in a tangible way, which is not something that I'm used to. I'm really, my style is very much like fly by the seat of your pants, don't make any plans, like just see where everything takes you kind of thing. Um, So I I kind of like put it out of my mind for a while. And then um, after I got home from my year abroad in Israel, 
which is where we met. Yes, I was going to get there. That's, that's <laughs> how we know each other. Yes, that is how we know each other. We went to the same school. Um, so I came back and my mom had this crazy idea that um, she was going to start a fashion business. And she had always wanted to work in fashion. She's actually a zoning consultant. Um, well, that's different. Has been, yeah, she works... She works with buildings. It's like a man-dominated business and field, especially when she started working it in it, which was like over 30 years ago. Um, but it was what her mom did. And then she sort of like took over the business, moved it to Brooklyn um, from Queens. And um, it just, it, it was always something that she was very good at, but um, it's not something that she wanted to do. She actually went to FIT for fashion merchandising for college. And um, it just sort of stayed a dream. And at one point she just woke up one day and she was like, you know what, I have the resources. I think I'll be really good at this. Um, let's give it a shot. So she enlisted me and um, together we just like started building this company. That's amazing. It must be really fun to do something like that together with your mom and also really stressful. Yeah. <laughs> like I imagine um, it being amazing and terrible. It's not, it's not at all terrible, actually, I will say. Um, my mom is wonderful and I love her dearly. That being said, it is never easy to work with family. Um, there were definitely certain times when I had to be like, okay, we're home now. Let's like, we can't just talk about work all the time. Um, so there were definitely instances like that. There were definitely points uh, when we would have meetings and stuff that I would sort of feel like I had to like prove myself to third parties because like I wasn't just hired as a daughter. I was also hired because I happened to be good at this. Um, so it's a different like managing expectations, both like from yourself, from the people that you're working with and, and, you know, obviously for my mom too. So um, it was, it was challenging, especially in the beginning. I wouldn't say that it was um, a nightmare at all. Right. So it's funny because I think that, I do think that like working with family is amazing and terrible. I just think that in general, because it's like, you're dealing with people who know you probably better than most other people in the world, which is amazing and terrible. You know what I mean? Like they, like everyone knows how to push each other's buttons and what are the things that are going to like tick everyone off and, and all that. And I say that, like you said, like coming from a place of really loving my family. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know that I could do it to be perfectly honest. And my family is like marginally involved in my business. My dad helps me pack packages and, and stuff like that. My mom, um, like, uh, she works in the city. So if I need things that are, that like need to be picked up or whatever, she takes care of that. But like, they don't work for me. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not, yeah. they're not completely involved. So yeah, it's, it's its own little, it's its own little minefield, I guess, that you need to figure out. And it can get tricky. It really, it really can. As a creative director, what do you do? What does that mean? Good question. Um, I kind of manage um, all things that have to do with like the production of our brand to the outside world basically is like how I would sort of describe it. Okay. And then when you say the production of the brand, you mean like of the image of the company, not the production of like the actual clothing. Right. So I don't deal with production of the actual clothing. What I do deal with very often is I deal with, um, um, trend forecasting. We all have a meeting, all of the creatives together um, have a meeting about the trend forecasting. And that sort of gives me an idea um, as to like where the season is heading and what kind of voice we're trying to use um, to our audience. And um, um, once we do that, um, I also arrange um, all of the photo shoots um, for each season, I, um, I do most of the um, uh, photography for um, in-house campaigns, things that like we don't, we wouldn't hire a professional photographer for, I do the photography for. Um, I do a lot of photo editing, some, um, um, I 
do some graphic design for um, like different ads or like um, if you see our Instagram um, ads are mostly um, my creations. Um, and basically I'm kind of the microphone, I would say, that says like, okay, this is like, I'm like a filter. Like I take all of the good stuff that like is being discussed behind the scenes and I put it through the filter of Shifra <laughs> and I sort of distribute it out into the world of like, this is the message that we're trying to convey. This is what we want to say to our audience. Um, this is how this clothing should make you feel. That's a really, really great way to describe it. Like that, that's a really great way of describing um, it's important for any company. Um, and really, I think for any person, I think that you should be cognizant of what it is that you're putting out in the world. Like some, you know, you know, we all know those people who don't necessarily mean to come off as really intimidating and aloof, but they just do. Like you just <laughs> look at them and you're like, mm, I don't want to be friends with her. Like there's something about, they're, they're just putting out a bad energy. And as a company, it's even more important to make sure that the energy that you're putting out is matching with what your intentions are and what your product is and all of that, because that's, you know, that's what pulls together the company. That's what makes, um, that's what attracts people to the brand. So yeah, that's, that's a really key piece that you, that you play there. Um, I'm actually curious. I'm, um, I meant to ask you this before and I forgot. Um, do you remember when we were in um, our year abroad together, um, do you remember what happens when you told me that you were going to write a Broadway play? <laughs> no. No, you don't even, okay, let me tell you a story. You said that you were going to write a Broadway play and you were sitting down and you were writing it. Like there was, there was I plot lines it. happening. Oh, I believe that. Yeah. You fit. Oh, it's done. It got it's written. Done. It's done. Okay. Well, if anyone is listening here and can get a play on Broadway, you need to, um, reach out. Please. <laughs> thank you. Um, when you told me that you were writing that, my reaction, and I said this to you, and I felt awful, like, immediately afterwards, was I was like, yeah, right, that's nice. Um, that's, I, and I remember, and I said it to you, and I remember you being really upset pretty, pretty quickly, and then, and I felt awful just because, like, what a stupid thing to say to someone, um, and then I did come back and apologize, and, and all of that, and I'm really glad that you don't remember this oh. entire incident, um, but you were so convinced. You like, listen, someone to write a Broadway play, to complete a play and let alone, and you were telling me about how it's going to be on Broadway. Um, and I was thinking like my reaction was, yeah, right. And you were, <laughs> you looked at me like I had just told you the sky was, was like purple. Like I had just told you that like, it was such a true, it was so true in your brain. It was something that was obviously going to happen. Um, and I think I I don't remember this. Like, Seriously? At all, oh, actually. I'm actually really happy that you don't remember it. I, <laughs> I was not the nicest person in this story. Well, now um, I'm mad all over again. <laughs> I'll have to apologize all over again. I'm, I'm curious where that conviction comes from. Because that takes, like, listen, I've heard and done a lot of crazy things in my life. Um, but it takes some serious conviction to be like, I will write a play. It will be on Broadway. It will win Tony's. It will be amazing. Um, so it's funny that you ask that. I think it's really just like pure unadulterated innocence. <laughs> <laughs> just like a big heaping spoonful of naivete. Um, I think it's something that like, I, like I said, I have like this big imagination. I tend to believe <laughs> that like some things are possible that they're not and it's not necessarily like a terribly bad thing because it often will give me opportunities that like most people wouldn't even try doing um because they would just be too scared but um it's you know it's it's a it's a balance I would say but yeah I think it's because like I just have this like idea in my head that anything I try will work. And it's not even based on like experience because experientially I should really think everything that I try will fail. <laughs> um, but that's actually, that's also not the case. I shouldn't say it's so black and white, but like 
most things that I've tried have failed. And if that's any indication that I really should have changed my point of view, but for some reason, it just hasn't stuck. I'm like optimistic to a fault, I would say. I think that's a great thing to have. I think that a lot of people wouldn't do a lot of things if they knew how hard they were at the beginning. And I fully put myself in that category. Like, I don't know that I would have started my company if I knew exactly what I was in for. And it doesn't mean that I, I don't regret that I started the company. It's just, it's a lot. And, and being, you know, you have to have a certain kind of brain, I guess, to, to see things a little bit differently from everyone else. Yeah, I agree. I definitely agree with that. Yeah. Did you always think that you were someone who saw things differently? Were you always just someone who saw things differently than people around you? People used to tell me that. And I was just like, well, like if, if all you ever saw was like the color gray, right? And like everything is gray and gray and gray and gray and gray, then like you can't even imagine other colors. You know what I mean? Right. So for me, it was like, not that everything was gray, but like everything was one color. It was like, oh, um, everyone feels this way. You know? What way? What do you mean? Everyone has this experience of, of being completely optimistic, of living completely inside their own imagination, of like experiencing the world in the way that I did um, as a kid and, and even, even a little bit still now as a jaded adult, semi-adult. Um, I couldn't imagine that other people didn't always think the same way that I did. Right. I don't think that everyone does though. I don't think that everyone has that. I, I just don't think it's an outlook that, that most people have. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? We have to like take a survey or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, and see, and see, you know, how people, you know, come about, come about those things, but either way. Um, so you, you mentioned that you were always creative, like you were always doing something and being crafty and all of that. Were you doing that all through high school? Um, actually, uh, high school, I think was probably like my least creative time. Um, high school was actually really hard for me. Um, I had a hard time. Yeah. Um, I did a lot of like, I did some school plays and like, I think I was in like a committee or two. Um, but I think that was like my creative low point, I would say high school. Right. Was there something specific about high school that made it that way? Um, I think the general um, idea of like growing up um, kind of weighed very heavily on me. Um, Not in a very conscious way, but I think like as I was growing up, I started realizing um, a little bit of like, hey, not everything is going to turn out the way that I want it to. Um, You know, I'm... I all of a sudden had responsibilities that I never had before. Um, I all of a sudden was exposed to different um, experiences that I I never had access to before. And it just started shifting the way that I thought and interacted in, in the world. I think that's, you just pretty much pegged growing up. <laughs> Like that's, yeah, that seems, that seems pretty much about right. And I, I think that you're unique in that you, like you, you experienced it while it was happening, if that makes sense. Like when I think back at the, the most, like at the times when I was really growing up, like during high school, or for me, it was always more during camp or things like that. Then looking back, I can realize like, oh yeah, that was a shift for me. But it seems like you recognize that shift while it was happening. Yeah, there were a few things that um, that were happening in my life at that time that were, um, they kind of forced me to sort of take stock of what was going on around me. And I think that as these things were going on, I sort of began to realize like, oh, hey, this is a little bit of like real life that everyone's always talking about. Right. Like the bubble has been burst. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's always rough. Yeah. It's, it's always rough when you realize that like, oh yeah, the world does suck. And sometimes people suck and figuring out what your place in all of that is. That can get really, 
I can get really heavy really fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the, um, I should say that on Instagram, you are skirting the rules, which is my favorite account name ever. Thank you should you. just know. It's really good. Um, and recently you started like just casually mentioning that you were going to therapy, like just yeah. casually saying in your stories and talking about how like, oh, I shouldn't have worn this mascara. It's not even eye proof. Who does that? Um, <laughs> was 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 that a conscious decision that you made to start sharing more about your mental health in such a public platform? Yes, definitely. I've, I've actually been in therapy for over five years. Um, and I just have never been comfortable sharing it with the public. My, you know, people who have seen me around, people who don't know me, know me, people who who have interacted with me know immediately, oh, she goes to therapy because I talk about it all the time. Uh, <laughs> I'm literally like, I'm going to tell my therapist on you. <laughs> um, um, but people who don't, I mean, you know, unless I consciously say something on um, my Instagram or Facebook or whatever it is, like, I mean, how are they going to know? Right. Why was it important to you for people to know? Um, personally, it's sort of like a big step for me because I feel like I shouldn't have to hide it. Um, and then sort of on a more, I guess, like socially responsible platform, I would say that, um, I think that, um, people should see that, everything that I do took a lot of work, like emotional work for me to get to the place that I am. And, um, I don't want people to think like, oh, she's just perfect because she's perfect. And I'm not even saying that I'm perfect, but I think that like, you know, my feed is like really curated and I'm always posting all these glamorous things that I'm doing and like they don't really see the behind the scenes and I think that's actually something that you do really well on your account is like show people what's actually happening thank and you I love that yeah it's I something it's it's interesting that you mention it because I it's funny because I don't think that I share that much I really don't um and you I know sh- what it's funny sorry to interrupt you no please but um I know that you don't show that much because I know what know each it's other. actually like. <laughs> right, like we know each other. Um, yeah, it's funny because I, I'm really, I'm 100% comfortable with everything that I put out. Um, I share a lot related to my business. Um, I, share, I share a lot of what I'm doing. So if I'm packing a package, you'll see that. If I'm writing a blog post, you'll see that. Um, if I'm recording a podcast episode, a lot of times I'll like snap a picture with my microphone and things like that. I show a lot of what I'm doing. Um, but I think that what you're doing is not always what's necessarily occupying the most space in your brain, um, or the thing that like you're really focused on. So like my husband very rarely shows up on my account. Occasionally he will, um, after much asking very nicely, he's a super shy guy um and and also like and I think that's also part of it he's just like there are plenty of people who show you know their husbands their families their homes their kids or all of that I don't have kids but I think that if I did I wouldn't show them um I just think that it I just think that it helps to make a safer space for people to feel like like I don't for like take kids for example. I personally don't think that it's appropriate to share personal details about your children's lives because you're talking about a different person, um, and they didn't ask for that to be shared. And whether they're you know they might be two years old now, um, but if they're two years old now and you have thirty thousand followers, do all of them need to know that your two year old who will grow up by the way, like vomited in the living room? No, no one needs to know that. Like I just don't think that that's even though that's a totally normal thing to do. I just don't think that it's fair to put them in that situation. So, yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting that you mentioned that because I have like a huge, uh, like thing on, uh, treating kids as people instead of like kids, like they're people, (laughs) you know what I mean? Exactly. People forget that a lot. Um, 
and again, I also don't have children. So like for me to say that it's really easy. Right. Um, and probably when I have kids, I'll probably like post them throwing up in the living room. Cause I'll be probably, cute. <laughs> you know, it, it'll be adorable and I'll think it's hilarious and um, there too. So what the heck? But right. at the same time, I think that it is important to like mind other people's boundaries, um, even if they're not old enough to establish them for themselves. Yeah, that's that I think is really important. I think that a reason I've given this a lot of thought because I think that what makes the difference between someone feeling like a lot is being shared or feeling like um like not so much is being shared i honestly think it has to do with how often you see that person's face i really truly do or how often more accurately how often you hear that person's like how often you see them talking like those um like the stories where it's like and i do these stories all the time where it's like holding the phone at my face just talking to people i i don't think it matters what you're talking about I just think it matters that you're in that, um, that like that's the frame of the shot and then people automatically feel close to you because they're having a face-to-face conversation with you. They're in their brain, they're reacting to what they're saying. They might not be telling you it or they may be telling you it, you know, responding um, to your story or whatever it is. Um, And they've just had a conversation with a person, like any FaceTime or any like video chat. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's my theory. So yeah, either way. But yeah, you were talking about how your feed is curated, which it is, and it is stunning, by the way. It has the coolest vibe of like, when I grow up, I want to be the girl in your Instagram feed, which I know is not you, but whoever, (laughs) it's not you, but whoever that person is, like, I want to be her when I grow up. She's very cool, um, like very edited vibe, um, which is hard to maintain sometimes. Yeah, it's fun. It's really, really fun to do. And it's, I really just think of it a lot as like, uh, dressing up and like playing dress up. Um, it's like every picture I feel like tells a different, um, story is maybe a different person. Um, and I just like feel really connected to those, um, images that make, that like make you feel something. My mom said it best. She said like, your, your, um, your Instagram feels so melancholy, but so happy. And I just love that That's description so because it's something that people can relate to on so many levels. Right. Um, but yeah, that's uh, creative direction at its finest, ladies and gents. No, it really is. Seriously, check out um, Skirting the Rules. I'm going to link it in the show notes. Um, but yeah, going back a little bit. So you mentioned that you had been in therapy for about five years and only recently you started um, saying that publicly. Why now? Um, why not? (laughs) Yeah, that's a good answer. I, yeah, I don't have a specific reason for now versus before. I think, I think definitely like the public opinion has sort of like changed a little bit in regard to, um, mental health and mental health awareness. Um, I think people, in especially in like the orthodox insta blogging community specifically i would like to say um ricky steiner um, is fabulous and she's literally she says like she's not a blogger she's just like a person i actually know her um personally we have a few mutual friends um but we became friends on instagram and she really inspired me to like um just start owning like who you are, your journey and like everything that comes along with, you know, you. Right. As, as you as like an entire package. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually really powerful to be able to say that, like, I think it's also important to note that like you're a perfectly normal, fine and lovely person who happens to go to therapy for whatever reason, like that, that is something that is I think I do think that to a certain extent you're you're very right in that it's becoming more and more um like destigmatized and all of that, which I think is amazing because people should get the help that they need. Um it's like I still think that there are some people who think of like, oh you had to go to therapy. Like <laughs> what um what amazing trauma did you go through that like that necessitated this huge step? And sometimes it's like, no, nah, I just wanted someone to talk to. 
Yeah, I'm a big uh, believer in everyone going to therapy. I think it's something that literally every single person can benefit from. Um, yeah, I don't think that I, I definitely, I listen. Okay. A few things. First of all, I've been in therapy for five years because I have decided consciously to stay in therapy for the five years that I've been in therapy. During that time, I've uh, gone to and graduated college, gotten married, moved to, into an apartment by myself. I've done a lot of life-changing things. And all of that, during all of that time, I was very um, aware of the fact that I wanted somebody standing by my side, aside from my husband, um, because believe it or not, there are some things you tell your therapist that you don't tell your husband. <laughs> um, makes sense. I mean, it, it's just the truth. Um, because your therapist doesn't have to live with you. Uh, <laughs> That's a very good point, actually. <laughs> um, but yeah, there were, there were specific things that I felt that I needed somebody um, who was going to sort of like walk me through all these different stages of my life. And every time I went to therapy, it was another decision. I'm going to therapy this week because I'd like to talk about this, because I'd like to work through this. Um, and it wasn't just sort of like, oh, well, I have therapy and I'm just going to therapy because I'm going to therapy. Um, that's not to say that doing that is a bad thing, but I do want people to realize that it's not just like something that you get stuck into. It's not something that like, oh, you go once and now you're addicted to getting your feelings out, which by the way, is not a bad thing. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, I just, um, I think that like literally anyone off the street could go into therapy and come out with something that they didn't know that they needed from, from themselves, from the people around them, from their environments, um, and, and even the people that they trust the most in the world. Sometimes we don't know how to communicate. Sometimes uh, we're feeling things that we can't decipher on our own and we need somebody else um, as a sounding board even just to like tell us like oh hey it sounds like you're feeling these feelings is that correct or is it something else and that'll help you sort of um, have a deeper more engaging understanding of yourself and the life that you live and the choices that you make and I just think that it's a huge part of enriching your life yeah, it sounds it sounds like it sounds like it, this is something that has become really almost like a part of your self care, like keeping yourself sane in that way, and just knowing that you always have someone that you can bounce off of. Yeah, and and it's so true because, like I said before, like I'm always super in my head, and it's for me something that I struggle with is it's hard for me to imagine the experience of other people, and so as like somebody who's interacting in the world of business um, in, as, a, as a sister, as a daughter, as a wife, as, you know, even just like somebody on the street, it's important to like recognize like, oh, hey, I can separate myself from the experiences that I'm having, or like I can separate myself from the relationships that I have too. And um, like for me, that's a really, really important part of therapy. Um, and you say self-care and it like truly, truly is. And trust me, I do a ton of other self-care things um, at the recommendation of my therapist. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> um, but even just giving yourself the time to really check in with your thoughts and feelings, um, either as they're happening or after they happen or before they happen sometimes, is just like this amazing step, um, I believe, in, in, in making the most out of like your daily life. Right. Out of curiosity, have you been with the same therapist for the past five years? Yes, I have. Do you, you probably just got really lucky because I've heard of a lot of people who switch around a lot until they find the right person. Yes. Well, okay. So in high school, actually, I went to see a social worker who, I don't even remember her name, um, 
but I confided in her about many things that, you know, were unsettling to me that I was having issues with. And none of the action that she took was um, helpful to me in any way. And it was incredibly disappointing. It left a really bad taste in my mouth um, for the years later when I finally was convinced to go to therapy um, by a different practitioner, um, sorry, with a different practitioner. <laughs> um, it took me a while to even um, warm up to this new therapist that I had just met that um, I like wasn't comfortable just being like, oh, okay, here's my life story. Like, okay, fix it, you know? Right. Um, which is not what therapy is, but. <laughs> That's um, what I think most people imagine it to be. Yeah. Like, here are my problems. Tell me how I was abused or mistreated so that we can get over it and move on. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's actually interesting because, um, I really feel like people don't want to spend the time exploring those issues. And like, especially today, it's very often like, okay, next thing, next thing, next thing, especially like in the, the industries that, that both of us uh, work in, it's like, you don't have a second to breathe. Right. And I find truly that like the whole, the introspection in and of itself is therapeutic. Just the pausing. Um, Pardon? Just like the pausing. Yeah. Yeah. And the coming to conclusions and having the conversation, the part that's therapeutic is the therapy, not what comes afterward. Mm. That's actually really interesting. So it's, it's as someone who has never gone to therapy, um, it's always interesting for me to hear what other people's experiences are because they're, they can be really varied. You know, they're, like I said, like some people have to jump through, jump, you know, for to a couple different practitioners before they find someone they like, um, or that they can connect to, I guess. Um, and some people like yourself just click with someone right away. And it's, it's a really difficult process to pin down because it is so personal. And you mentioned that you had been convinced to start going. Um, why did you need convincing? Like, was there a reason, a, a reason why you were hesitant to go? Yeah, I, I didn't want to be a crazy person. I mean, only crazy people go to therapy, didn't you know? Oh, really? That was sarcasm. I know. <laughs> okay, just like for the listeners out there. For people, yeah, sorry, Sherpa and I are really sarcastic. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's definitely a mental hurdle to get over, to just be like, this is, yeah, I, how, how, did you, how did you work through that? How did you jump over the, like, only crazy people go to therapy thing? Um, I went to therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, it sounds... It's a little bit, um, oh, that's the best thing. like the catch 22, but once I started, you know, like I was like, okay, well I'll just go once. Like if I must, you know? Right. Um, and once I went, I, I didn't immediately click with my therapist, by the way, I will say, but I did see a lot of potential, um, which was helpful. And I do know that like a lot of people do not see potential with their therapists, and I would say to get a recommendation um, from other doctors and especially people that um, you have like a, a comfortable relationship with. Um, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't say like your friends, but I would say like if you have a comfortable relationship with your doctor, um, then I would ask like who is the best practitioner that he recommends, um, he or she, excuse me, my sexist language. Um, you listen to armchair expert? No, but I do love Dak Shepard. Okay. So first of all, he's amazing. Um, there, okay. So armchair expert is Dak Shepard's podcast. He hosts it with someone named Monica Padman. Um, her story is awesome. And she's like my dream guest, honestly, to have on the show. And Monica, if you're listening, please email me. Um, that she was basically, she moved to LA to try, um, and become like a writer, an actor, or whatever. Um, and she ended up getting this nanny job for Kristen Bell and Dak Shepard. Oh. And, um, she, and, she, and like the nanny job was not her dream job 
at any rate, the nanny job was like, oh no, I have to pay my bills type thing. And I mean, you could get worse luck than it's being true like, though. I know, right? It's like, like how I want to know. I know. I want to know how that happened. Uh, that part of the detail, I don't know. And once she was, um, once, once she was their nanny, um, or I think she was more like Kristen's assistant or something like that. I don't know. I'm not familiar on all the super details. Um, Kristen just realized that she was really good at writing and putting together stuff and like doing all the things that she had originally come to LA to do. Um, and Monica hosts Armchair Expert with Dak Shepard, which is this super successful, amazing podcast that I highly recommend everyone listen to. Uh, it is a little crass. So if you're sensitive to language, I would say skip it. But if you're not, it is worth the listen. Um, and they actually, on a recent episode, there was a guest that was telling a story. Um, the guest was Jonathan Safran Four, who is an author. Um, and when he was in um, elementary school, I think he was eight years old, they had a substitute teacher who did a science experiment with them and it led to an explosion. Um, and, um, and, and Jonathan was, was pretty badly hurt. There were um, some other kids who were even worse hurt. Um, and when he's telling the story, Monica did what you just did, like refers to the substitute teacher automatically as a she. Um, and then they go through this whole moral dilemma of like, is it so awful and sexist to refer to the substitute teacher as a she or not? Um, and I just think it's really interesting that, I, I think it's really awesome that people are even thinking about those things, to be perfectly honest. That like That's 10 right. years ago, you would not have even blinked an eye at someone doing that. So, yeah. I will say, if you want that uh, feminist agenda content, you should follow me. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you should. <laughs> I'm a blazing feminist. I burn my bras. I mean, a hundred percent. And you haven't showered in two years, right? Haven't showered in two years. Um, I, I only use reusable diapers on my period. Um, <laughs> yep. That's me. Ooh, guys, remember the Again, sarcasm the sarcasm. part? The I should, sarcasm. I really should, like, just the <laughs> disclaimer. should just be I there know. constantly in red. Sarcastic. I, I know, right? Oh, my God. That was amazing. Either way. Um, I'm curious. So you, so you, you take this time, right? You take this time. You invest in yourself. You go... You do the hard work, right? You go to therapy. You you said you didn't immediately love your therapist, but you figured out a way to make it work. Um, and then you said that you decided to stay. And like, what does that even mean? Like, is there is there like after I don't know ten weeks? It's like you get a certificate, you've graduated, and you were like, you're not getting out of, you're not getting, you're not getting rid of me so fast. Like, what was that? What was that like? Both coming from someone who has no um, experience with. I, I really have no experience with the mental health system, which is something that I'm not proud of. Um, it's, listen, it's nothing to be embarrassed of. We'll get you set up real quick. Um, <laughs> You'll hook me up? I will hook you up. You can't have my therapist because she's mine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I don't like sharing. Um, no, but it's a good question. And I think that's something that people really, really get wrong about therapy and therapists is that um, a relationship with your therapist is just like any other relationship. Um, sometimes you gotta work at it. And that's not to say if they're being unethical or making you feel supremely uncomfortable um, or you just like 100% do not feel that this is the right person for you to you know, disclose your deepest, darkest secrets. I completely understand that. Go find a new one, but don't give up on therapy as a whole. And if there's something like, like I said before, like I saw that she, I mean, she has all, she has a bunch of different credentials, she's very talented in the field that she's in. And I really felt that she could help me. And that doesn't mean that we didn't have our road bumps along the way. I literally went to therapy on Sunday and I told her, I feel really uncomfortable talking about this with you. And I've known her for five years and she knows every single one of my deepest, darkest secrets. And I literally had to tell her like, this is something that I don't feel comfortable talking with you about. Um, and then we sort of explored that. And I sort of said like, 
you know, I feel like maybe you're judging me. I feel like maybe you don't understand where I was coming from or whatever it is. And, and that's literally how you work any, any relationship. And because of the nature of therapy, that it's so personal, that it's so intimate, it needs to work like any other relationship. And so not that you have to work at it until, you know, your, your fingers go sore, but just, just that you need to put some work into it. It's not just going to fall into your lap. This is not just a, this is not a situation where you can just be the taker. And like we said before, that stereotype of I'm going to tell you my problems and you're going to fix them. That's just not how this works. That's, that's what I would say. And, and you say the taker and it's interesting because you are, you are a hundred percent the taker because like it's their job to listen to your problems. What I'm saying is that communication is really key in any relationship. And I would say like, especially with, with the relationship with your therapist, you know, if, if you don't feel comfortable with something, if you feel like, um, maybe they don't have your best interest at heart. Well, no, if you feel like they don't have your best interest at heart, you should leave. Um, (laughs) but if you, if you feel like they're being judgmental, if you feel like you can't share specific parts of, of, of your life with them, because, um, you know, you're scared about what that'll say about you or, or whatever it is. It's like, you need to work through that kind of, because often, more often than not, it's actually indicative of a bigger problem of something that, of something that you're avoiding as a whole in your life, that your life would just be so much easier or so much more fulfilling if you could just get over that hurdle. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a, I like that you're saying that a, that a therapist is just like any other relationship. And it's true. I think that a lot of what you're saying now can apply to most, to most relationships, does apply to all relationships, actually, that, you know, to, to, to be able to voice what is not, like, what is not sitting right with you, and to be able to articulate the things that you need, and all of that, um, I think is just really important in, in life and in general. Um, what is, the biggest misconception that you think people have about going to therapy? Um, Well, I said it before that people will think that you're crazy. Um, First of all, have you encountered anyone who has thought that you're crazy because you go to therapy? um, I've encountered people who have, who have said like, Oh, well, what's wrong with you? Yeah. Like what, what made you have to go? Which like, listen, there are many things that are yeah, wrong with me. There's many things wrong with And everyone. you know what? Yeah. That's what I mean. It's like, not that they're specific, they're unique to me because they, they are my crazy things, but it doesn't mean that, you know, anybody else doesn't have them. You know, I'm sure you have things that make you crazy too. And it's not, it's no, I'm not as a judgmental way, but I'm just saying it's part of, it's part of you as a person. There are things that, you know, what makes you tick? What makes you, what, what makes you angry? What makes you happy? What makes you, you know, anxious? What, you know, there are things that, that interact with you and, and that is, that's not crazy. That's just emotions, you know? Right. That's just what makes you human. Exactly. Yeah. And being human is messy. It just oh, is. Yeah. Like there's... That's, uh, I was listening to your last podcast, which was... Um, oh, the goodness. last one that was published, I think, was with Brachel Wigter. With Balabusta? Balabusta, yeah, with Brachel Wigter. So we're recording, as we should say, in the middle of December. um, And the last episode that um, that was just out was with uh, Brachel Bard Wigter, who um, is known on Instagram as Balabustas. And we spoke around around, um, sex and the stigma around sex and and the work that she's doing around that. Um, It was an incredibly fascinating conversation to have. Again, because it was okay. an experience that I didn't, I, I had peripherally had. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. the, the conversation around it was, there were all things that I'd heard before, but not things that I had necessarily gone through in my own life, which is part of why I love doing this show. 
yeah as I get to talk to all these different people doing all these different things that I never would have had an excuse to just schmooze for hours Mm -hmm. which is fun and yeah so something that she said in her in in her episode was um that birth is like a messy miracle yes is that what she said yeah yeah she called it a messy miracle it was I just loved that um phrasing so much and I just I really believe that like I think it just like extends like past birth even, you know, like all of life is a messy miracle and like it's messy, man. It is so messy. Yeah. I, cause we're all, we're always, there are always things that are happening to us that we don't necessarily have control over. At the same time, there are plenty of things that are happening that we do have control over. At the same time, there are things that we're choosing to do for whatever reason, whether noble or otherwise. And it's just a lot, there's just a lot flying around at any time, even if you're just lying in bed. Yeah, you're, you're, it's, it's like the entire world is so volatile that like literally like a step in, in, in any direction is going to shift like the entire, like your entire like, Ex- like sphere of existence I don't know that sounds like really holistic and like a little bit not really my brand I'm very um I'm not I'm not so like into this I love how you're always thinking of things in terms of brand oh you can't turn it off no oh tell me about it tell me about it oh yeah but I think you have a point there I just mean that like um everything that we experience is, uh, oh, here's a good way of explaining it. Um, every action has an equal and opposite reaction, right? Yes. Um, yes. okay. That's a much, that's much more on brand for me. <laughs> <laughs> much more put together, right? Yeah. Um, so literally everything that happens in the world is going to cause some sort of action or reaction like about and around the thing that happened and you inherently will be part of that equation whether you know it or not because you exist in the world in which it happened right boom yeah yeah mic drop seriously though (laughs) that's that i think that that's so true do you do you wish that you had known more about just mental health and what to how to treat and all that do you wish you would know more about that as a kid because we got I don't know about you but I got almost no education around this yes um, as a kid and I percent as a kid I was told that I was moody that I was a drama queen um that um a mil a million other things and that's not to say that like the people who were saying those things meant any harm by it. I just so, so wish that the education was more inclusive of, of, um, mental health and like the experience of mental health, especially in children. Um, I, I have struggled with mental health, um, issues from the time I was about eight years old and I did not know that, um, there was a different way of living. And I just like, I sort of just wish somebody would have told me like, um, you know, these are the people in your family who, who I, my family has a history of mental health issues. Here are some people in your family who have had mental health issues. And actually it's interesting that you mentioned Dak Shepard before, because um, this is something that I heard from Kristen Bell, not personally, but she said it in an interview that her mom sat her down uh, at a certain age when she was, you know, probably teenager or like going, you know, growing and a little bit of hormonal <laughs> because that's usually when um, the symptoms start flaring up. Um, if somebody has a predisposition for mental health issues, um, she said that her mom sat her down and said, uh, our family has a, has a predisposition for a major depressive disorder. And you should know that if you're ever feeling this way, you should come talk to me. We can get you help. We can get you medication. We can get you therapy, whatever you need. And 
when I heard that, I knew instantly that's something that I want to tell my kids. I know I felt instantly that it was something that I wish I had been told as a kid. Um, I just feel like there would have been so much um, relief for me as a kid, as an adult, um, if I knew that I wasn't the only person experiencing this, and if I knew that there was a way out. And even I think also that it's not your fault. Like this is just something, you know, some families have high cholesterol, our family has depression. Like Exactly, exactly. Expressing it in terms of um, a medical issue versus an emotional one is so important to me. It, I mean, important to me, but I think that it's really, really important for other people to acknowledge as well. Um, it is a medical issue. And it's literally exactly like you said, like some people have high cholesterol, some people have a predisposition for mental health issues. And it runs in families. People, people know that, you know, in my family, I can't have too much sugar because you know, my grandmother was pre-diabetic or diabetic or whatever it is, you know, people know if they have a history, if their family has a history for autoimmune diseases, for cancer, for literally every single thing under the, under, um, in the book. And I just feel like mental health is not approached in the same way with the same sensitivity and with the same understanding. I think you're right. I think that also because like if someone, like, and it's funny because like not all medical issues are treated the same in this way. Like if someone has high cholesterol, they'll probably be like, well, you should eat more green things. But if someone like, I don't know, um, uh, name a disease. Like if someone gets cancer, right? No one is going to be like, it's your fault you got cancer. Well, maybe if it's like lung cancer and you smoke, then like, yeah, I'm going to blame you a little bit for that. But like, if you get lymphoma, then no one's going to be like, you suck. You have lymphoma. How would you manage to do that? I mean, pull yourself together, girl. And just like, come on, just like deal with it. Just like smile. It'll be fine. Like that's nobody approaches physical illness in that way. Um, and because mental illness is not, it's not always trackable. Do you know what I mean? Like you, it doesn't show up on a blood test sometimes. It's much more abstract. Yes. Right. It's, it's, it's really hard to pin down. Um, and as humans, we're just, we're very literal creatures. And like, if it doesn't show up on a blood test, then it's really hard to treat that as an actual disease. Yeah. Even though it's something that there is medication for and there are hormones involved and, you know, literal chemical imbalances. Yeah, but there's no, like, I mean, there's no test. I mean, the DSM, um, which, ooh, I should really look up what the DSM stands for. I don't know what it stands for, but that's the thing that defines all mental illnesses, right? Yes. Yeah. The, the diagnostic something manual. Um, diagnostic and statistic manual of mental disorders. There you go. So um, it's, it is so underserved. It is so, it's light years behind what is actually happening in the moment. I mean, it's literally like you would, it's, and that's the only trackable, like you said, um, way to like understand if people uh, have mental illness or not. And like, I think like the research is underfunded and I think that that like, whatever, it's a different issue. (laughs) But um, I think that like largely, all of all of mental health is really just like underestimated to the point that like the way that we diagnose it isn't even up to date it's not even um it's it's not even that um reliable right and And i think it's it's also it is a subjective field in a lot of ways like up until a couple years ago being gay was considered a mental disorder um and that's no longer the case um and because there's, because there are things that do change, it makes it hard to pin down, you know, the people who really need help and need the medication that they need and, and all that. Yeah, I think that, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of like politics that goes into what is and isn't considered um, mental disorders. And I also think that when people are suffering in the way that they are, 
Um, often uh, patients, mental health patients are not trusted um, because many of them are seen as crazy or making things up or it's not real or um, this is a one, one, one out of a million um, experience. And I think that uh, people with mental illnesses are so often um, underestimated and undermined in their own experiences. Um, I think that if people with mental health issues were actually consulted as peers rather than as, uh, as uh, patients, or that's not to say that they're not patients, but if, if they were actually regarded as um, Collabor collaborators in the in the creation of the DSM, uh, I think that it would it would yield a lot more specific and uh, beneficial results. Um, and I actually also wanted to address just um, the thing that you said earlier about you know like if if somebody has um, cancer or whatever that like they didn't cause it and and you know for for somebody to say like oh well did you ever try not having cancer you know um, is just like disrespectful and rude and like why would you even say that um, it's interesting because I find that that example gets like thrown around a lot and I think that the point behind it is kind of being missed so I just like to clarify that if, if that's okay please do um, I think that the issue is not necessarily like, oh, have you ever tried not being depressed? The issue happens when people are symptomatic um, of, of mental health issues, which is to say that, uh, let's say with depression, right, um, people will more likely than not um, withdraw from, from friends. They will try not to leave the house. They might stop showering and taking care of their basic needs. Um, they might stop eating. Um, they might start going to bed incredibly, incredibly late and sleeping all day or even just going to sleep really early and waking up really late in order to minimize their interaction with like the world around them because everything is so painful. And I think that those symptoms are often are often regarded as like, well, why did you ever just try going for a run? Did you ever just try taking a shower? And I think that the that's where the the misconception is is that it's not just like have you ever just tried not being depressed it's like have you ever tried doing these things that that your condition is making it uh almost impossible for you to do on your own and that's where the treatment and the therapy and the medication comes in is is with the symptoms because with something like mental health issues especially things like um depression and anxiety when you treat the symptoms oftentimes you're you're helping to treat the issue right you're you're allowing the person to confront the issue by removing the symptoms from the equation um yes and no sometimes just like interacting with the symptoms themselves can even show benefits and and the point the point that i was trying to make is is that when when somebody is you know depressed or has anxiety or um any other host of, of uh, mental health um, issues and disorders that there are um the most important thing for people in their vicinity or within their like support system or people that are close to them is for them to know that there are people out there who are understanding and who are willing to help them um, or willing to help them get help. And I think that the symptoms of disorders like this specifically target relationships because no one's going to want to hang out with you if all you want to do is sleep all day. But then again, if you sleep all day and no one hangs out with you, you're likely to get more depressed. And so I think that um, having people also, like, even if you don't suffer from mental health issues, just knowing that the people who you know who do need an extra step, an extra little uh, inkling just to show them that you're there, that you care, that you understand their experience, or even if that you don't, that you care for them deeply uh, or just casually, whatever your relationship is. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but 
I, it's important for, for other people around to also recognize that the symptoms are, are perpetu often perpetuate the issue. The symptoms make it worse in a way that, that they wouldn't normally with other illnesses. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's a tricky one because, because, and like we were saying before, because mental illness is so abstract in a lot of ways, you are only able to treat the symptoms. You know, you're only able to, um, to learn those coping mechanisms that allow you, the, the person to move in the world um, in a way that works with their brain that they are, have been given. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky thing. I really, really, really appreciate you coming on and sharing your experience, Shipra. This was, I think, something, I certainly learned a lot about, like I said, something that I don't have experience with. And I feel like it allows me to relate to you better. It allows me to just, just be a more informed human. Um, which I think is a good thing. Uh, if somebody wants to uh, see more of you, where can they go? They can go to at skirting.the.rules on Instagram or on my website, uh, skirtingtherules.me, which is rarely updated, so maybe don't go there yet. <laughs> no problem. I'm going to link your Instagram and your website because why not, um, sure. in the show notes. And I do encourage everyone to go check out that page on the website. The website is not updated frequently, but it is beautiful. So um, you should definitely do that. And the last thing that I want to ask you, Shifra, is what I ask everyone who comes here on the show. And that is, in your, your life, in your work, in the way that you move through the world, what does it mean to you to make an impact? I think the most important thing to me, the thing that I relate to the most, uh, would be taking a stand and speaking out when there are issues and injustices that uh, you see or experience. That sounds awesome. Thank you so much for coming on today, Shepard. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening today. You can access the show notes by swiping up on the cover art. You'll find all of Shifra's links there. To hear more episodes, subscribe or head over to impactfashionnyc.com slash blog slash podcast. While you're there, check out what's new in the world of size-inclusive modest fashion. If you enjoyed this episode and want to help more people hear it, leave a review with your favorite thing that Jeffrey said today. It makes a difference. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses, original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rift Yetzkowitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together. <laughs>